You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast about watching soccer on TV and online. Welcome to episode 174. Coming up on this week's show, ESPN gives German soccer a boost, insight into the MLS Orlando tournament and what it means for soccer fans, Fanatis launches a free version of their streaming service, Amazon adds a new highly recommended soccer documentary, Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, um, let's dive right into what we've been watching from this past week. And uh, probably you, like like myself and, and uh, many of our listeners, it's uh, we've been flying the, uh, the flag of Germany and, and uh, the Bundesliga, still watching the league and... Um, and seeing how good of a job the the TV production's been uh, in terms of uh, everything, in terms of the uh, the coronavirus and, and following the, the correct guidelines, um, everything seems to be pretty flawless. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit though that I've uh, fallen into this trap, which uh, seems very contradictory and maybe hypocritical of me based on our conversations at the beginning of coronavirus, uh, into watching. Uh, just about, not just about, uh, absolutely every Premier League classic match NBCSN is airing. So there has been that viewing as well. And part of it, Chris, I will admit, is is watching uh, old Premier League productions. Uh, some of the uh, commentators, Steve Banyard uh, now is, uh, has been on a, a number of them. And we've gone through uh, the last few weeks, others, uh, Craig Burley as a co-commentator, etc., that you don't get on Premier League broadcasts very much uh, very often anymore. So that's been part of the thrill for me is listening to older commentators and then genuinely um, kind of reconnecting with a lot of footballers in uh, that era of the Premier League. And, and NBCSN has shown uh, classic matches from all eras, but it's generally been from about 2009 to 2004. 15 that they focused on so late fox soccer channel slash espn2 era and then uh the early nbc era if you want to date it in u.s television terms uh, so 
reconnecting with a lot of older players or, or players that may have been young then and are now uh, in the prime or on the downswing of their careers, as well as some guys that, quite honestly, uh, we sometimes forget about. Uh, Matthew Flamini, for instance, those sorts of guys, Raul Morelish, uh, Colo Torre, guys mm-hmm. that were, were, were very good players uh, for, for a period of time at big clubs that sometimes just fade into in, in the memories and obscurities. I mean, obviously, Colo Torre is now an assistant with uh, Brendan Rodgers at Leicester, so uh, he's still kind of there, but we, we forget about him as a player. So that's been a lot of fun for me, in addition to watching the Bundesliga like everybody else. Um, and I, I feel, feel like an awful hypocrite for it, Chris, but part Part of it is looking at the production quality, looking at the commentators from that era, uh, the graphics from Premier League productions, which would change with every te- every time they negotiated a new television package. Remember, there would be these slight tweaks to it, mm-hmm. which uh, I've kind of gotten into hyper analyzing and then seeing the graphics uh, and saying, ah, OK, I know when this game was. This game would have been in such and such a year because that was when they were using that graphics package. The sort of thing that like media... I guess I would consider myself a media and TV um, uh, critic, sportscasting geek, right. Right? critic, but geek also uh, would get into that. I guess most people wouldn't. Well, I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I've been doing the same, but to a different era and going back to like I'm a little bit older than you, I think, Kartik, and back to the early 80s, still watching some of the match of the day programs that are on YouTube and just uh, for me, it's more of a um, looking at how things have changed, um, the style of football, you mean the 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 kits, uh, the stadiums, the the hooliganism, and uh, the policing, and and the football, the the, the types of goals, you mean kind of more long range efforts and um, the style of play. So analyzing the game from a different way. So I, I think yeah, there's nothing wrong with going back and watching the NBC. Um, um, you know, kind of best of all the different years and stuff like that. I, I think it's it's a worthwhile effort too, and it also reminds us a lot too. No matter what era, or no matter what league, or, or what team, or what we're watching, is that um, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of uh, yeah. things that happened before uh, the present day. Speaking of which, Kartik, last night I don't think you've seen it, and, and I didn't tell you anything about it. So this is completely brand new and live. Is I think Amazon released a, a bunch of new videos on at their Amazon Prime Video um, service because there was a bunch of new soccer stuff that came up in, in my recommended list, and one of them I was flipping through, and it was called uh, "Do You Want to Win?" question mark And I thought, well, let me check that out. It was spectacular, so so superb. It, it's the story of Leeds United. Uh, and the turnaround is a documentary about uh, the turnaround from uh, the team that was in the 1980s had been relegated, I think, uh, under Alan Clark, and we're really at, at a low from from the highs of, of it being in in the 60s and 70s with a classic team under Don Revy, uh, Brian Clough, of course, even for that short spell. But um, in the late 80s, relegated. Um, running out of money, having a huge hooliganism problem, having a huge uh, racist problem within the supporters, and how Howard Wilkinson was hired as manager, and that from then on, just talking about what he did to that team in terms of uh, changing the club around, uh, the mindset and everything, and and getting promoted from the second tier to what was then the first division. And then within a couple of years, winning the the, uh, the very last final first division title before it became the Premier League in 1992. And and there's interviews with uh, Vinnie Jones, Gordon Strachan, Howard Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. There's quite a bit of time spent about uh, Gary Speed, 
uh, David Batty, um, I think Mel Sterland, a lot of these like really iconic Leeds United supporters, um, players. And the thing that I like the most about it is it really captures the football culture, really from the fans to the players to to the chairman. A real life documentary, really well done. And again, I, I'm not a Leeds United supporter by any means, but I highly recommend this one. That that sounds amazing, Chris. Because I, I think it's also important. And you, you you talked about the match of the days you've been watching from the early 1980s. I think it's important for fans of younger fans, newer fans of English football, to understand uh, the 1980s and how um, football was uh, was kind of a pariah game in in England at the time. How some of the the classic clubs who had done so well in the 19 uh, 1960s and 70s, Chelsea, Leeds. Uh, Manchester City, uh, the 80s were horrible decades for all those clubs. Uh, for Manchester City, it started a little later. The early 80s were, were okay, and then it, it dipped in 1983. Uh, and But it, there, is, there has been this thought of me as a Manchester City supporter of actually doing something on the 1980s in Manchester City because it was such a bad decade. Um, and I actually recently, uh, for our friend Rami Sophie, had a uh, questionnaire I, I answered for him about Manchester City and Manchester City history. And one thing that came up in it for me was, uh, who are your greatest players ever, I was asked. And obviously you think of now Sergio Aguero, David Silva. Going back, you think of Summerby, you think of, um, of uh, Colin Bell, and you think of Franny Lee. And Franny Lee was the chairman of Manchester City during that period, during the really bad period in the late 80s, early 90s. And, it's like, and I said, you know, he might be our greatest player ever, but no Manchester City supporter will say it because of his, his job as the president of the club. So um, that era, I think, is important for people to learn about. And Leeds had a huge hooligan problem. The city itself was going through um, this horrible period in terms of job losses and strife and, and, and trade union uh, issues. Uh, there's a period of Leeds United history from about 1978 to 1990 where they're off the boil. So, or 1988, 89. So I actually really look forward to watching this. And I think you could make a similar documentary about Chelsea, who had all kinds of problems in the 1980s. And uh, Manchester City, uh, Manchester United to a lesser extent. I mean, they were still competitive, though. I think they were more competitive than than the other clubs I mentioned. United's problems were really in the 70s um, after uh, Sir Matt Busby retired for the final time but yeah th- this sounds fantastic yeah uh, and i look forward to watching it yeah some, some some good footage in there too and and the thing is about uh the premier league and nbc's sn is this is a type of program that i think that they probably would never show because it has yeah. no connection to the premier league even though technically i mean it's, it's the same division and it just got you mean completely changed and ripped out of the the football league and put it and, and kind of rebranded and, and became the premier league but um, yeah, really, really good documentary for for fans of any club. I recommend that. Um, in terms of soccer watching, I'll get to the Bundesliga in a second. But um, Wednesday saw the restart of the Portuguese league, the, the Primeira League, also known, known as uh, Liga uh, Nos, uh, for sponsorship reasons. But uh, I watched Fama uh, Lisao against Porto. Which you I mean when Porto is playing, you always expect Porto to win. They're in first place. And they lost. So now the title race is wide open. Uh, this match was live on Goal TV, uh, both in English and Spanish. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, but the English language commentators on Goal TV are so bad. I mean, just absolutely awful. Um, 
I mean, broken English. Uh, within the first 30 seconds of the game, uh, the commentator in his broken English said, you mean, look at Porto. They made it into the end zone. And, and this is somebody who's, it, it's obviously either a Spanish speaker uh, or a Portuguese speaker natively. Um, and then just kind of butchering the English language commentary. It was so bad, I went ahead and actually switched it back to uh, Gold TV in Espanol, in Spanish, and then just listened to and watched the game with the Spanish commentary. But uh, the game was pretty good. I mean, the level of... I mean, you can, you can tell that uh, the players are still kind of getting back into things, but um, it's going to take a little bit of time to get them back to the, the same levels as they were before. Uh, and there was no crowd noise. It was just the just the players... Um, but the, the, only, the only major difference is they had uh, the PA going. So as soon as a goal was scored, the PA be- began playing music, even though there's no one in the stadium. That was a little bit different. But overall, uh, pretty good, pretty good. I mean, it's it's not the highest level of football, but it, it's football, and I love it. Kartik, the Bundesliga. Okay, so I yeah. lo- speaking of love, I love the Bundesliga. I love the, the history, the goals. I mean, we've seen so many goals since uh, the season restarted. But I'm beginning to kind of go back to what I've always thought about the Bundesliga, where this is not football as it's meant to be. It's it's uh, Bayern Munich running away with a title. They have a plus 58 goal difference. Uh, and it's not just that they're winning matches. I mean, they're beating teams, what, 5-0, 6-0. I mean, just the, and it the, feels like twelve nil, honestly. Oh yeah, matches. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I, and and then the other thing is too is I I can't think of any upsets or shocks we've seen no. since the restart. I mean, it's been it's the level of football is good. Uh, it's high quality. The production's great. It's just the teams that are bad are bad. Uh, the teams that are good are good, and there's very little shock or, or upsets from what we've well, seen. Yeah, let me chime in on this because I watched the Bundesliga closely and have made this observation privately to people and actually publicly and then parked it when the restart came and became kind of a cheerleader because I love the league. What we have seen in the last few years in the Bundesliga is this desire of teams at the bottom of the table to play football to play their way out of trouble. Uh, And uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf, classic in this match. They're building from the back. They're trying to play like nice passing triangles at the Allianz against Bayern. I mean, you know, I I know you and I complain uh, when we watch the Premier League and and we get a top of the table versus a bottom of the table clash. And inevitably, the team at the bottom of the table sits back and bunkers and absorbs pressure and sticks eight guys behind the ball. But at least that keeps the matches competitive for usually the better team, the top team wins. Right. But they Mm -hmm. they have to grind it out. Um, This is something that's been going on in the Bundesliga for two or three years, Chris, as someone who watches the league closely. And. In that period, you've seen, and it happened last year, too. That's why Borussia Dortmund and Bayern, I don't know what their goal differences were last season, but it was probably similar. Um, And they ran away from the rest of the league, those two teams. Uh, This year, it's been a little more competitive because Bayern started poorly. Uh, But again, you're seeing generally, and this happens with Leverkusen, too, when they're on, uh, under Peter Botch. Generally, Leverkusen, Leipzig, when they're on, Leipzig and Leverkusen, when they're on, Dortmund and Bayern are beating teams 4-1, 5 5-1, 5-0, 4-0. So what you are seeing is a league where teams are all playing a similar style of football, which then inevitably the better team wins, or the more the team with the higher payroll, the, the better team, the more quality. And two, uh, it leads to my 
my continued concern, and I and I've been I was ripped on this twelve months ago, eight to twelve months ago, when I would write about when I would put post about it, uh, that the event defending in the Bundesliga is not really that much better than even Major League Soccer when it comes down to it. Now maybe the attacking play is so much better that it shows up the defending, but um, I think now everyone's getting a taste of my critiques of the quality of play, not not quality of play because the play is quality, but the the style of play and the growing gap between the top four or five in the league and everybody else, which was a Premier League problem uh, until recently. Now the Bundesliga has a bigger problem, I think, than any league because it's such an attack-oriented league with everybody playing the same way. In Italy, if there's a if there's a growing gap between top and bottom, which there has been, and there has been in every European league, it's still the style of play, the tactics in that league still lend itself to uh, Juventus and Napoli having to grind out results from time to time. Bayern doesn't have to grind out any results unless they're playing, uh, unless the top four or five are playing one another, there's no grinding out of results going on. Yeah, pretty much the only grinding out was that uh, the 1-0 uh, De Classico victory, I mean, after they got the, well, yeah, go- the goal against, right, 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 against Dortmund. Against, right. Yeah, and, and, so it's the same thing, Dortmund. So I'll give you this example. Since the winter break, Dortmund has dropped uh, points in only two matches, which were the two, uh, their two losses, which were to Leverkusen, 4-3 in a classic Leverkusen Dortmund game because of the, how much, how good those teams are attacking wise and that their their classic are one nil. Uh, otherwise, their matches haven't even been competitive. If you go look, Dortmund's winning every match three nil, four nil, five nil, and yet Lucian Favre is going to get sacked. It appears just because he can't beat Bayern, but they're still beating everyone else four right. nil or five nil. So uh, it's yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And, and to me, I've lost a lot of my – and I, I think I said this last week on the show. I lost a lot of my uh, appetite for the league because Bayern beat Dortmund. I think the, the hope for so many of us was that that would at very least be a draw and we would have a title race to the end. Uh, now, Bayern is firing on all cylinders. I think uh, you have to say Muller uh, and Kimmich are, are – two of the best players in their position in the world. Um, and for Mueller, it's a renaissance. Uh, and then uh, Lewandowski, obviously, is the best number nine in the world. So it's it's nice to watch from that perspective, but I don't like watching teams win 5-0 every week. That's mm-hmm. a problem. Yeah, and we'll get to that in the TV ratings a little bit too because those numbers reflect the really the kind of the predictability uh, of the Bundesliga. The numbers each week are dropping, getting lower and lower. So from, I mean, when it restarted, we were in the 300s. Now we're in the 250s. Um, so it's that that does reflect kind of the, I think people enjoy watching the games and I enjoy watching them too because, I mean, now other than the Portuguese League and the Costa Rican League, um, this is pretty much all it's on. And I, I love the games. I just would like, like it to be more competitive. Um it reminds me. Well, it doesn't. I was going to say it reminds me of Major League Soccer, but um, but it's a completely different format. I mean, in terms of, you I mean at least there's the relegation battle going on, uh, and you had that too with the the Schalke game, um, where that one at least was against um, who was that against? That was against Bremen. That was a it was scrappy. It was ugly. It was physical. Uh, and then Bremen getting that one goal and uh, holding on for for the victory there. Um, so the relegation games are the ones that kind of seem to be, to be more full-blooded, uh, but then they're not as attractive to the eye, but they are exciting from trying to see, okay, uh, is Schalke going to get threatened to get pulled into a relegation area or is Bremen going to get out of the relegation zone? 
Schalke should should be fine, but but uh, Bremen obviously that win that helps them a lot. But in that game, though, Kartik, and actually over the weekend, we saw that uh, Fox has changed their strategy a little bit with the halftime. Uh, yeah. I guess with uh, Rob Stone, uh, Alexi Lalas, and Stu Holden doing the the weekly uh, remote uh, of Fox Soccer Indoor, the the show. Uh, they must also be taping some of uh, some things for the Bundesliga too. And it's a bit strange having Rob Stone talking about the Bundesliga because from what I can remember, I, I don't think Rob Stone's touched the Bundesliga since, uh, uh, well, Fox had the, the right since 2015. You know, it's always, you mean, whether it's uh, Ian Joy or, or, or somebody else, but Lallis and Holden have, have been there. But what they've been doing is, is a halftime doing a uh, top five Bundesliga goals. Uh, and it's just, you mean, a recorded segment of, I don't know, like 30 seconds to a minute and, and just playing that as well as um, an interview that they did with uh, Tyler Adams. But uh, other than that, it's still the world feed and, and the commentary is still good. So no complaints there. Anything else, Kartik, before we move on to the news section? No, I, I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, the one thing I, I, I would say, though, is that um, I think the Bundesliga seems to have done a good job with the fact that since they were the only top, top league really playing to kind of spread out the matches. So you have matches on Mondays, you have matches on Wednesdays. Uh, the Bundesliga, for those of you who don't know, uh, have had a, a huge uh, fan backlash, supporter backlash against Monday night matches. And those will be going away in the next TV package. So, uh, But it is kind of nice that in this era where they're not uh, having crowds and they're needing to get the season done and they're needing to put uh, matches on television, they're using uh, week weeknights to do it as well. So uh, that's something that don't get too used to it. I mean, obviously, the Premier League and La Liga are planning to do the same thing, but don't get too used to it with the Bundesliga because that is a league that has a uh, a cultural aversion or their supporters have a cultural aversion to uh, weeknight matches. Yeah, it still feels a lot like the previous schedule, though, for the Bundesliga before the coronavirus, where it is very predictable, which which with predictable uh, predictability as far as TV viewing, that actually helps yeah. as far as, say, Major League Soccer, where it's very seems to be a very random. You don't know which teams are going to be on which channels on which days at which times. Uh, the Bundesliga is very predictable uh, with their TV times. Um, but let's move on to TV streaming news. And, and Kartik, uh, this is big news uh, over the weekend. At, at times, we didn't think this would happen. This could be uh, could have had huge ramifications, but a deal was struck. Yeah, so I'll admit, I mean, we're talking about what we viewed this week. I probably spent more time on the phone this week talking to sources and people with knowledge in the game domestically than actually watching football about the situation in both MLS and USL. Uh, let's obviously let's focus on MLS uh, because uh, this thing blew up over the weekend and uh, the MLS players union and the league have agreed to a collective bargaining agreement. And uh, this tur- tournament in Orlando will take place. Apparently um, MLS players will get a share of the revenues from the new TV rights deal. Uh, 12.5% in 2023. Remember this current deal ends in 2022 uh, and 25% in 2024 and onwards uh, for reference, NBA, NFL, and MLB players get nearly 50% of their share of the TV rights deal. Now, Don Garber, then controversially says when they announced this on Wednesday, quote, Major League Soccer will take a billion dollar revenue hit due to the pandemic, uh, unquote, uh, which just created all kinds of uh, backlash because people were thinking, well, if there's a billion dollars in revenue, then you've probably been 
misleading the public and the players in the past, in past CBA negotiations, about uh, the, the financial health of Major League Soccer. Uh, Garber says there will be more cameras, audio, and uh, tech in Orlando than the typical MLS game broadcast. And uh, in fact, ESPN will produce uh, everything and will deliver uh, broadcastable streams and broadcastable production to, to Fox and uh, Univision for the matches they're carrying. Uh, they are also obviously rights holders. Uh, MLS Cup final, according to Mark Abbott, uh, the deputy commissioner could be held in late December. Uh, it's possible that the season could go into the 2021 uh, cal- calendar year. Um, let, let me mention over the weekend what happened was the MLS players had previously agreed to a force majeure clause in the event that there was a second coronavirus wave, which I think a lot of people are thinking is likely. There's there's not – or even after the Orlando tournament, there will be a, a gap because of coronavirus until we can uh, re- restart the actual schedule 2020 uh, season. And – so they had agreed to that. They had agreed to that in goodwill. They had given given a lot of ground, is what our players and player agents told me on background. Then suddenly, Major League Soccer, because of the second this potential of a second wave, this potential of maybe having to push the season off into 2021, which they've now uh, or concluding in 2021, which they've now publicly acknowledged, said, "Okay, we're going to need even more concession." This is after they had agreed a deal that would essentially start the Orlando tournament. So the players said no. And Chris, uh, MLS decided they would lock out the players uh, if, it, if a deal wasn't reached by Tuesday. Now, what was really stunning was that in the past, when management has taken that sort of hard line with the players union, one, the players union has buckled, and two, public opinion, because MLS has a lot of I don't know even how to describe them. You know, you, you and I boys. know what we're talking about, and we talk about those types of fans a lot, a lot, and a lot of media that's very complicit. A lot of fans that are that are more concerned about the the corporate health of MLS than the financial health and player safety issues, those sort of things. A lot of people are just MLS fans. So generally, you've had these fans kind of close ranks with league management. That did not happen this time. In fact, there was a massive backlash. I mean, I can't even describe how big the backlash was by. Even typical people who close ranks with MLS, maybe it had something to do with what was going on in the country, the civil disobedience, the protests. Everybody was kind of in a belligerent mood anyway um, to take on authority. That might have had something to do with it, but it was actually stunning. And I think it caught MLS's um, – I don't know about the, the, the New York uh, executives of the league, but I know it caught uh, some of the people at teams that I spoke to uh, on background off guard. They did not expect that. So yeah. uh, they ended up caving which um, is quite stunning because I think, one, there's um, some bad will that came out of it that is not going to just go away overnight. And two, it probably puts the players' union in a stronger position than they've ever been and shows that perhaps in the past if they had stood up uh, when they when they quite frankly caved in the, in the negotiations, especially in 2015 on that CBA, uh, that maybe they would have gotten more. But, um, you know... Good job to them. I'm glad this has been resolved, and uh, we're going to have a tournament in Orlando, and I know you have some thoughts about that. Yeah, well, well the good news is is that Major League Soccer will be back. It's good to know that the, the players 
we'll get a chance to play and we will get to see some football, soccer, um, live on television. And it's going to be, I mean, the game is going to be, I think, a couple of games early in the morning and a couple of games uh, later in the evening in prime time. So a good opportunity here for ESPN and Fox and, and Univision. I, I wonder, though, Kartik, before we, before we talk about the, the optics of this tournament, I wonder, though, the 12.5% revenue share for 2023 and then 25% in 2024 and onwards. So from 2024 and onwards, 25%, that's great. The 12.5%, I wonder if that is a, whether it's a uh, indication perhaps that maybe MLS will try to renew the current TV deals for one more year before they go ahead and uh, open up for bidding. There has been some speculation about that, so continue. No, go, go ahead, because that's, oh, yeah, that's yeah. just a thought. Um, there, there was some speculation and this was before the deal was reached. So I, I don't, I haven't talked, I haven't circled back with, I talked to do, uh, over a dozen people uh, this between Saturday and, and Tuesday, and then I, I or Saturday and, and Tuesday morning, and have not circled back since, since the deal was agreed. But there was a feeling that maybe MLS, because of the diminishing sum revenues also, which is something you pointed out on last week's show, Chris, and hadn't been really talked about in mass until this point, uh, because of the diminishing revenues from some friendlies and some internationals that they might just seek to extend roll over this deal to 2023 or 2024. They don't want to extend it too long term because they have CBS, they have Amazon, they have Turner, they have other people who might want to bid on uh, DAZN, who might want to bid on uh, on MLS rights. Uh, at the same time, there's an acknowledgement that maybe going to market now with uh, internationals uh, shut down might be really poor timing. So there is a possibility that this happens. And that's the thing, though, too, too, Kartik. uh, Club soccer... <clears throat> club soccer is, is something that uh, we can all watch those games and those leagues are starting to come back international football national teams playing that's a whole other ball game because you you, you kind of think of uh, say the United States so uh, you mean um, I think wasn't it this summer that they were talking about having some of the, the teams from overseas come into the United States and play in some type of uh, friendly um, yes. Tournament, or you mean imagine if uh, the US went ahead and invited, say, England, I don't know, Italy, Spain, and and, and Germany. So hey, come on over to the United States. I think most of those uh, national federations would say absolutely no chance are we coming to the United States with what's going on with the coronavirus and what's going on with the civil unrest. Thanks, but no thanks. We're concentrating on club soccer. Uh, the national game or the national team is kind of not even in the picture right now. Um, and vice versa, too. I mean, I'm sure the U.S. is probably thinking like the U.S. Soccer Federation, as far as the men and the women, probably it's going to be a while before they go ahead and start having those teams play in other countries, too. There's so much to get through to get to that point. And, and we're still focusing on the club soccer side of things. But then, yeah, that's a good point. But my take, Kartik, on on this whole thing too is that um, so this tournament in Orlando, which is good news that it's going to, it's going to happen, it's going to be very much like a, a World Cup tournament. So you'll have all the teams coming down to Orlando in about, I think about June twenty fourth, training for a couple of weeks, and then around about July 9th, beginning this tournament, uh, being split up each team into into different groups. And um, having a mini World Cup tournament. So um, after three games in that first round, um, the top teams advance and the teams that were you know, lower down 
that didn't get as many points, they they go home. And then you're down to 16 teams, and then those 16 teams go ahead and play uh, play out that tournament uh, to win it and see who, who who's the champion. In theory, that makes a lot of sense because what else are you, are you going to do? Are you going to try to play league games, which I'm trying to get as many league games in throughout the season, but that's not as attractive for the TV viewer. My, my concern, though, Kartik, is the optics of this, is you and I have both been to the ESPN Wide World of Sports uh, facility many times. I've probably been there a dozen times. Uh, it's a, a facility that's meant for youth soccer, I mean, youth sports. I mean, they play baseball there, they play basketball there, they play soccer there. But there's over 20 fields. Uh, it's set up for youth soccer. So I think there's one stand or maybe two stands um, in the in the complex. Uh, the biggest stand probably holds about maybe a thousand people tops. But and again, there won't be any fans there. But from the optics, from having the cameras there, and Don Garb was talking about having more cameras than an MLS game is that facility is wide, expansive, open. It's not very pretty to look at from, from a television perspective. Now, you've got the Bundesliga. You mean, at least, I mean, yes, there's no fans in the stadium, but at least those games are being played in those home stadiums of those clubs. And like Gladbach, for example, are having the cardboard cutouts of the fans. I think it's uh, Cologne is having kind of the shirts uh, on the seats to make it look, add some uh, atmosphere or color to it. But in Orlando, there's going to be nothing. So yes, you you might have artificial crowd noise piped in, which I'm sure you would. But um, I think I think everyone will watch that tournament probably the, the first uh, first day or two. But after that, Kartik, I, I just wonder how much I mean, how much desire is there to watch the rest of the tournament if. Uh, the look and feel of this is going to look like you're playing playing at a youth soccer facility for the rest of the, for, I think it's like 30 days uh, that they'll be there. Yeah, and I have to say I'd express the same concern for the NBA because they've actually gone to they're going to use the HP Pavilion, which is right you, you walk right by it right when you right. walk to uh, uh, the youth soccer fields, and in fact you use the changing rooms in there sometimes. I've gone to college basketball games in the Disney tournament, whatever it's called, uh, Milk Challenge, I think it was called at one point uh, at the uh, at, at there, and it's not even an adequate facility, quite frankly, for college basketball. So I don't know how the NBA is going to play there, but um, similarly that. Uh, the, the soccer fields we've had, I think I mentioned before, we had a friendly between Schalke and uh, and Fort Lauderdale Strikers at uh, the, at the the main the kind of the stadium field at one of the stadium fields at Disney, and the pitch condition was complained about by Schalke. Hmm. They didn't like the condition of the pitch. They didn't like the condition of the training facilities, which is part. And I think maybe this is the first time I'm talking about this. Four years later, this is part. This is a big part of the reason they didn't come back to the Florida Cup. Uh, after that so those training facilities which mls teams are going to train on that uh stadium pitch which they're going to play on and they're going to have to play on multiple stadium pitches right because they're going to be games going on uh all day long and there's going to need to be some significant groundskeeping done to those facilities are going to need to be in tip-top shape i do not think they're necessarily at the level of mls stadium pitches uh to begin with then they're going to be torn up more frequently or mls training pitches uh to begin with so this is a big concern. There's been talk, and I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the, the full details of the tournament yet or in terms of venues. There has been talk of maybe bussing players off of the Disney campus out of the world, wide world of sports complex and using some of the better 
soccer facilities, Lake Nona, uh, among others. Champion, One of the Champions ones in Lake Gate. Nona, Champions Gate. Right. Yeah, Champions Gate MLS has used a lot for preseason and for exhibition matches in preseason. Uh, MLS teams have, so they're very familiar with Champions Gate. And the training facilities at Champions Gate are better. It's a better better pitch to train on. But then you tear up the uh, the game field, or maybe even up to Seminole County in Lake Mary. Yeah, because I, uh, that's too far right. I, right? I, I don't see it happening. I I, I see yeah. it as a lockdown and just tight security. You mean buses from yeah. the, from the, the the Coronado Hotel directly to the uh, ESPN Wide World of Sports back and forth between there, and, and that's it. E- even though there's there's better pitches and better facilities elsewhere, it's just I think it's just too much of a risk. That, so then, um, Chris, if that's the case, and you and I both know the Disney Complex, well, we both know all of these facilities. We're talking about Lake Nona, et cetera, Champions Gate. They are sacrificing, and and I think safety needs to come first. But it because they're 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 trying to get be first to market among major American men's pro leagues. Obviously, NWSL, we know, is going to start now probably about 10 days, if not uh, uh, NWSL starting June, uh, June 27th. It might end up being 10 or 10 days or two weeks before MLS. Um, that they are sacrificing um, the optics for player safety, but they're still trying to rush to market. So there's like this kind of balancing act they're, try- they're, they're trying to uh, undertake. Disney then I think it's now what, how many weeks out will we be? We're about a month out Di- or three weeks out from them going there to train. Disney is going to have to really, really work and upgrade their facilities. Now, and maybe not just the fa- not the facilities as much as the, uh, the pitches in the next three weeks. Yeah, ESPN especially has a difficult job ahead of them because they're, they're going to be the ones that are going to be producing these games and uh, providing the, the footage. And then Fox and Univision, for whichever games they're, they're going to be showing, are going to be taking that ESPN feed um, and then adding on their graphics and adding on you mean, their commentators. Uh, but effectively, it's produced by ESPN. And the games that are on ESPN or ESPN2, uh, those, of course, will, will use their ESPN feed there too. So the challenge... I, I, I have confidence in ESPN that they will do everything possible to make this as pleasant of a tv experience as possible it's this is going to be a big challenge this is a huge challenge i mean is i mean we've actually la liga has been talking about having uh not just artificial crowd noise when the league starts next week but also having uh a virtual crowd where almost like fifa 20 the video game having virtual fans in the stadium uh, I'm not sure if ESPN and MLS is going to go to that extent where they're going to create a stadium virtually and then make it look and feel like this a stadium. I mean, that that's a huge undertaking, um, especially when there's no stadium there to kind of build to build on uh, virtually. Uh, that's going to be you know, almost impossible, I would think. But I'm sure they will try their hardest to make this as good of a TV viewing uh, product as possible. The, the other optics, though, too, Kartik, too, is that you, you have to think this is going to be a global product. This is not just Major League Soccer on, on Univision, Fox, and ESPN, but Sky Sports News, I mean, Sky Sports uh, broadcasts MLS games, Asia, you, you mean MLS uh, games are there too. Uh, around the world, MLS games are, are televised. So, um, again, I'm sure using the ESPN as, 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 as a world feed and, and then ha- having their broadcasters on, to- on top of that remotely. Um, that's another thing in terms of the optics. So the optics are that this could look end up looking like a bunch of scrimmages, a bunch of games where the, the first day or two it's exciting, um, but then after that, what's the 
what's the meaning of this? This tournament, at the end of the day, Kartik, this tournament, this tournament is meaningless. I mean, yes, there's talk about perhaps the winner having a qualification into the CONCACAF Champions League. At the same time, the CONCACAF Champions League is relatively meaningless. I mean, it's, I mean, it's something that's dominated by uh, Liga MX clubs. Uh, is not uh, something that generates large viewing numbers for I mean any season. So, what is the meaning of this tournament? I mean, from a, from a business perspective, we know that Major League Soccer has to go ahead with this tournament and, and get back on television because, like Don Garber says, I mean, however those numbers are, are put together, uh, a loss of one billion dollars. So, is that some and Major League Soccer? I would imagine so. And what is he taking into account uh, in, in regards to that loss? And is that for this year only? Because next year is going to be a, a tough year too. Next year is not going to be all back to normal. I mean, 50,000 fans in, in the Atlanta Stadium or, or Seattle Stadium. So there's a lot of issues with this. And um, and I think at the end of the day, Kartik, yes, the idea of a World Cup tournament is fantastic. But with the World Cup, there's a lot more that goes into that. You have... I mean, history. You have you've got the passion. You've got the the rivals between, say, 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 I don't know, a Germany and a Holland, where it's basically war off the pitch and on the pitch. You've got this built up um, national uh, national pride from all these different countries from around the world, and the quality of football is usually in the World Cup is usually not the best, but is is definitely high. It's it's exceptional, and with this Major League Soccer tournament, you've got You've got teams with no identity nationally. You've got uh, imagine this tournament, Kartik, and imagine if you had Colorado Rapids against San Jose, or you had Real Salt Lake against Sporting Kansas City. Now, if you live in those cities, yes, you'd be interested, and you're fans of those clubs. But nationally, I think there's very little interest. Internationally, even less interest. Or maybe you'd had you have the New York Red Bulls, who aren't even from New York, against Inter Miami who aren't even from Miami playing against each other. And, and yes, there will be interest, but um, I don't nationally, I, I just don't see, I don't see that the, 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 there will be a lot of national interest in this, even though it'll be the first men's league coming back. Uh, even though these games will be in prime time, oftentimes on ESPN and probably Fox and probably Univision. Um, I just, I just wonder, um, the identity of these clubs, I think that, that, that's been an issue all along, even before the coronavirus, is with Major League Soccer, they've had a, a tough issue with clubs. The majority of clubs have no identity. I mean, you, you kind of look at a real Salt Lake. I mean, what is that club about? I mean, do they, I mean, tell me about the fans. Tell me about the history of the club. Tell me about the, the things that make Real Salt Lake different than any other club. But you look at the Premier League and you can pick any of those 20 clubs and each of those clubs has a different identity, has a different um, kind of different feel to the fan base. Each of them is completely separate, and and, and with Major League Soccer, that it's very much um, except for your Seattle's or Atlanta's or LAFCs, the, the rare exceptions. Uh, it's very not much identity nationally. So I, I, I I'm concerned about the, the TV numbers and, and what the TV numbers will be. Yeah, nonetheless, whatever the case is with that, I think MLS had to get creative. They had to do something to get this season or get uh, fulfill TV obligations, get uh, some uh, some football uh, under their under their belts. 
and hedge against a potential second wave. Because I think the concern was that even if you restart the season, uh, uh, your regularly scheduled season, and just pick up the fixtures where uh, we left off in March, uh, one, there are restrictions on having events in certain states. But two, even if you brought them to a neutral site and you you resume that, you would be in a situation where there's very likely, at least in some of the places – where MLS has clubs, uh, a second wave that's going to happen. So right. I, I think they tried to get creative. I give them a lot of credit for that. And the, and the existing format to, to, ju- to grab is a Euro or a World Cup format, right? Uh, so maybe they didn't get too creative. They just took an international football format and created a cup competition out of it. Uh, this all having been said, you know, I, I kind of agree with some of your criticisms, which is there may not be um, – it really depends who goes through in this tournament. If there are – because there, there are – when you're talking about a group stage of three matches, results, one bad result, there could, and teams not training uh, for all this time until recently, there could be some very random results. So you could end up, instead of having what I think MLS would hope would be, let's just say a Seattle-Atlanta final, and Seattle-Atlanta progressing through this whole competition, round of six, uh, group stage, round of 16, eights, fours, twos, uh, you would have, Colorado versus San Jose, the the scenario you mentioned. Right. So that's that's the concern. I think the television ratings will very much be contingent, and we have said this before on this show, and people get angry when we say it. MLS fans get angry. Uh, Seattle and Atlanta drive TV numbers in a way that the other clubs in the league just don't. Uh, maybe LAFC to a lesser extent, but I, I, it's Seattle and, and Atlanta. They need those two teams to do as well as they can in this competition. If they do... Uh, when you add in the casual sports fan who doesn't have other primetime viewing, uh, I think the ratings will be quite good. If it ends up being uh, Colorado, San Jose, uh, the, I think Minnesota has a very good team this year. Minnesota could be a team that wins this thing, uh, but, I, but I don't know that they have any sort of national appeal right now. If the Houston Dynamo, by some chance, do really well, or Dallas, uh, that's not good for, for MLS. So I think, unfortunately, the league has tried very hard to keep uh, some sort of enforced parity, some sort of uh, uh, one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter philosophy about a lot of these clubs. But we have clubs. Uh, Seattle has a history going back to the 1970s. Uh, Atlanta has got this thing going on. There were clubs like Atlanta, uh, Portland, I need to mention, under Merritt Paulson, Seattle, uh, and one or two others that have an outsized uh, supporters base and actually can appeal to soccer fans in addition to casual sports fans in a way that other MLS clubs can't. So MLS is going to need in considering they're throwing, this is a huge gamble in terms of uh, uh, just their presence and and trying to kickstart this thing. They're going to need those clubs to do as well as possible. I can't Mm -hmm. stress that enough. I think, um, they, 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 they are reliant on Seattle and Atlanta and Portland. Let's say those three clubs yeah. doing really well in this tournament. Yeah, and, and those clubs all have an identity. Um, and it's, it's not just uh, the fan base, but it's also just a, a playing style, kind of a, a style of play that you can say, okay, that is a, that is a quintessential... Um, oh, Atlanta has, yeah. Right, Atlanta right. very clearly, uh, I think, from the very beginning. And, and this goes back maybe to bringing in Darren Neal's from Spurs, right? Mm-hmm. Bringing in uh, an executive who had a lot of experience in in, in England and in Europe, uh, to, that he right away wanted a DNA in that club rather than just throwing a bunch of guys out and and playing like every other team in MLS. So Atlanta. So for those of you who have not watched MLS much, I would highly recommend you in this tournament you check out Atlanta because the the style of play under under De Boer 
resembles a lot of what you see uh, in, in, in the Netherlands and Spain. Uh, and the, their playing principles are like right. that. Uh, it, 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 most MLS clubs, they just... I don't know. They're pragmatic. It's the opposite of the Bundesliga. Yeah. Right? The Bundesliga, and, they all have this 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 very nice way of playing. The, the MLS, most of the teams just bunker guys behind the ball, and mm-hmm. it's very uh, it's very hard on the eye at times. And and within Atlanta, I mean, Atlanta United has an identity within. You mean you mean different cities? Seattle, Seattle Sounders have an identity. It's just it when you get outside of those cities and you look at the entire nation of the country, and you look at the United States and say, okay. What is going to say? I don't know. A fan from Louisiana. I mean, what is that fan going to gravitate towards uh, when there's no team near them? I mean, you've got the same thing too with with Premier League clubs. That's just as one example. But you have. See, it seems to be. I mean, from from me going to fan fest. Some of these fans who have probably never uh, set foot uh, overseas into, say, the United Kingdom or into Europe or wherever, have a very close identity with that club that they, they identify with say liverpool and they they know the history they know what makes them unique and and um they're they're i mean kind of locked into that i don't see that yet with major league soccer and uh i mean it's tw- 25 years now and it just seems to be very much just that parity other than the rare exceptions kind of creates a lot of teams that just you know almost the kits i mean the kits look very much like replicates just like they look to get they look very similar some of these kits but 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 this well, this well, well that that's that's part of the problem okay i'm sorry go ahead to jump in but the adidas the fact that mls has every club wearing adidas kits is part of the reason the identity yeah. gets lost yeah. and in the early days of mls to their credit, uh, even though it was always a single entity league, uh, clubs went out and negotiated their own deals. So uh, I was talking about this with someone this past week that there was really some cool Kappa kits in the league. There was uh, Umbro, obviously, with the Fusion, which you've uh, uh, which you've talked about. There were some really cool Nike kits. Uh, but then once the league made a deal with Adidas in the early 2000s uh, that to, to put everybody uh, in Adidas kits, the, the kits have gotten more and more boring and just generic and kind of um that 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 cuts guts the dna also right absolutely absolutely and with this tournament to me it feels more like a contractual obligation it doesn't feel like a organic authentic tournament that's been created um I, i get it from mls's perspective they have to get back in the game um, I mean, they're losing money and they need to go ahead and fulfill the contractual obligation for the, the TV companies, but also uh, the sponsorships and maybe even add some sponsorships for this tournament. But the whole thing seems very fake. I mean, it's this is something that's been created out of nothing. In future years, will any of us remember who won the, the 2020 whatever it's going to be called, um, Cup from Orlando? I mean, will it be like Super League? Look, I... I um... I liked Super League. I actually am one of the few people who would still say, hey, I really enjoyed the Super League tournament. Some did for uh, three, three or four years in the late uh, from 2007 to like 2010. They even flew Howard Webb over for one of the uh, who's now actually works for MLS, but at the time was the top official maybe in the world. Um, they actually flew him over for, for, for a final of one of those tournaments. And uh, but if you talk about Superliga now, who won Superliga? You know, did you do you remember Superliga? It's a no. Yeah, no one remembers yeah. it. Yeah, no I, I, I always forget it until you mention it every time. Yeah, <laughs> but, I actually enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, I, no, I, 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 I heard a good things deal too. out of it than maybe anyone else in the media at the time. And uh, and and uh, 
even I forget who who won it. I mean, I guess the <laughs> that that's the right. uh, that's the, the the problem is that these uh, unless you you have some consistency. There was also Chris. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, the Pan Pacific Cup that some put together with the with the K League and the J League and the A League, uh, and it, the whole idea was to to showcase David Beckham in. Uh, <laughs> in in these places. And unfortunately for MLS, uh, what we learned was uh, MLS teams could compete with with A-League teams and maybe uh, maybe a K League team, but uh, the J League was way 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 beyond MLS in that tournament, and that got very quietly canceled. So they've had these kind of ideas, these concepts, which I thought were kind of cool. I thought Trans Pacific was like a really good idea, but but, but, um, but when MLS teams couldn't win it, and was kind of maybe the same thing with Superliga, right. they they shelved it. But Kartik, out of all the leagues worldwide, I mean, you look at Asia, you look at Europe, you look at South America, you look at North America, Major League Soccer, probably the pandemic hit at the absolute worst time for Major League Soccer. I mean, the leagues in Europe were almost done. Um, The leagues in other countries don't rely as much on attendance revenue. So if they go go ahead and say, okay, we're going to abandon the league or we're going to suspend the league, that's not as much of an issue as it is for Major League Soccer. So Major League Soccer haven't only played like what two to three games, I think two games in yeah. this season. I mean, in theory, it's, it's probably the wisest decision would have been to go ahead and just say we're abandoning the entire season. We're going to come back strong back in maybe start a little bit earlier, maybe start in early February or something like that, and play next season and play the whole way through. So this this thing that they're creating. Um, which I, I just have a lot of concerns about this one as far as the, the appeal of this, like the sporting merits of this. I mean, what is this? What is, I mean, this, this almost feels like what crystallizes the whole regular season of Major League Soccer, where it's pretty, pretty much meaningless. I mean, yes, about 50% of the teams go ahead and make it into the playoffs. This is almost kind of a, uh, a stopgap measure to try to get MLS to the point of the playoffs and then hoping that by the fall that things will be better where games can be played and they can somehow put together some uh, some some playoff system that will lead to an MLS Cup and then MLS Cup is you know kind of where the champions are named um but the whole process of this is i mean they're, they're hoping for that and and Mark Abbott saying like you said to Kartik that we're looking at perhaps late December uh maybe going into early next year to finish this season so it all feels like contractual obligations. And and that's the thing, though, too, with the title race in Europe. Uh, There's only, I mean, what, less than 10 games to go for most of the leagues. And there you've got a opportunity to finish those off and declare champions and figure out who's getting relegated, who's getting promoted, and move on from there. With MLS, it, it's it's a lot more difficult. All right, Kartik, uh, moving on to some other news. So in terms of talking about the, the leagues coming back, we've, we've discussed the, the Portuguese league. Uh, Serie A is going to resume on June 20th. Uh, the weekend before that, uh, Copa Italia semifinals on June 13th or June 14th uh, are scheduled to, to kick off. The actual um, So the, the Serie A schedule for the first couple of weeks, I think we have at worldsoccertalk.com. Also on June 20th, the championship is back. And as a recording of this podcast on Thursday, uh, we don't have the schedule yet for those games, but um, the championship in England is back. 
And then Major League Soccer, tentatively now we're looking at uh, what was originally July 1st. We're looking now at about July 9th for the tournament uh, to kick off. In Kartik, uh, in brighter news, um, there's some big news coming uh, next week for, for fans of German soccer. Yeah, so Ger- the German Cup semifinals, both of them, will be on big ESPN and on ESPN Deportes, which is uh, quite different than the uh, uh, th- than what we've seen from Fox. They're putting uh, and they're going to they've, they've already put some promotion behind this on the ESPN FC program. A uh, big big contrast with Fox. Uh, and there's been a lot of concern that there are only four games contractually, right, in uh, uh, in the Bundesliga contract starting next year that will be put on uh, on uh, broadcast television or on on, on uh, uh, over the air television. However, now you're beginning to see ESPN has some flexibility, right? It, 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 they're pragmatic in, in in seeing, okay, there's some demand for this. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we put uh, these games on regular ESPN? Also, I should say that I've heard. Uh, from uh, multiple people, multiple sources, that uh, there is a good possibility when it's Serie A returns, which you just talked about uh, a moment ago, that we will see more games on ESPN and ESPN2 and ESPN News than we're accustomed to seeing. So uh, that's all very good news and shows ESPN's pragmatism, uh, even though they're having the same financial issues, even though they're having the same staff cutbacks as Fox, there is a uh, larger institutional commitment to doing things properly is that the right word you know i'm sorry that sounds really condescending to fox maybe that's too strong but doing things uh in a uh, more presentable way let's say that way yeah and espn has had the rights to the uh the the dfb pokal cup the german cup uh for a few years now too so this is not part of the the actual deal for the bundesliga but uh for those who are interested go to our website worldsoccertalk.com and you'll see the schedule for the games on Tuesday and Wednesday in um, in the semifinals, which uh, are often great games. And, and and there I can see those games being a lot more competitive um, than the league itself um, so far this year. Last but not least, Kartik, uh, big changes at uh, Fanatis, uh, which is the uh, legal streaming service. Uh, they have uh, headquartered in Miami and uh, they've been around since 2017. Uh, what they've announced this week is that um, they've added an Android app. So you'll be able to, if you have a smart TV, um, be able to um, watch uh, Fanatis through the app through certain smart TVs. But on top of that, too, they've added a freemium version. So it's a free version. All that's required is just an email address and uh, no credit cards. And you'll get access to uh, Real Madrid TV, Sevilla TV um, and a few other channels. And uh, the Real Madrid TV and uh, Sevilla TV is 24-7. Uh, so if you're into Spanish soccer, want to learn more about Spanish soccer, Spanish soccer, that's the place to go. And then uh, last but not least, with Fanatis, they've uh, completely rebranded and um, redesigned the website and apps too. It looks very modern, looks really, really good. And we've got an interview with the uh, the CEO of Fanatis. It goes into more detail. Uh, it's eight bucks a month and you get uh, BN Sports, all the BN Sports channels, including the, the BN Sports Connect channels, as well as Gold TV, as well as uh, TYC Sports International. And when it comes back, you get uh, Superliga Argentina. So you get the uh, River Boca games, um, a lot of great value for just uh, eight dollars a month. 
Moving on to TV ratings, Kartik. Um, we didn't get a chance last week uh, to talk about the number for uh, the Classica with uh, Dortmund and Bayern Munich because uh, we didn't get have it in time for the po- the podcast. But that one was live on FS1 and uh, it was on a, what was it? I think a Tuesday, I think it was. Uh, that one was, th- actually, actually, do I have the number? I do have the number here somewhere. Let me look, look that up real fast. Um, and... I ah I lost it. Anyway, I, I think it was, it was about three hundred thousand people watched that game, which is good. It's a good number. I mean, that's the the biggest. I mean, obviously the biggest game in the Bundesliga. Um, but from last weekend, so last weekend there were actually more people that watched uh, Dortmund than they watched uh, Bayern Munich, which is interesting. So we had two hundred fifty thousand people that watched uh, Paderborn against Dortmund, uh, the six one game on FS One on Sunday. Uh, compared to Bayern Munich against Fortuna Dusseldorf on the Saturday, uh, 246,000 viewers. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Dortmund has the edge in that one, even though uh, Erling Haaland was uh, injured for that one. But uh, other, other than those games, uh, Schalke against Bremen, 130,000. Uh, Gladbach against uh, Union Berlin, Union Berlin, 118,000. And then the Friday game, which was Freiburg against Leverkusen, and that was uh, 41,000 on FS2. And, and, and the U.S. Uh, narrative isn't carrying these matches because the 130,000 for Schalke versus Bremen is uh, a low number when you had two... Uh, U.S. Derby, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You had two U.S. Uh, players uh, prominently starting for those clubs. So that uh, that that in itself is very, very disappointing. I, I, I think uh, this is something that also... Uh, NBC has learned the hard way with their Pulisic mania that uh, maybe U.S. men's national team players just don't uh, they don't drive ratings the way U.S. women's national team players do. There's just not much interest in the in these guys. And I think uh, uh, when when you see uh, uh, Leipzig's ratings uh, w- with Tyler Adams, maybe the top U.S. men's player right now, uh, I don't think it makes any difference whether he plays or not. Right? <laughs> Leipzig's a good team, and they're going to probably get the same viewing number in the u.s regardless uh so mm-hmm. that's uh that's another indicator yeah overall um I and mean, we've talked about the bundesliga becoming a little bit predictable and the title race is over effectively i mean really uh not mathematically and uh, yes the relegation battle is on but um the sort num- of on yeah yeah, but the numbers it's each, the playoff each week are dro- it's the dropping. For the playoff, the playoff spot. Yeah, the right. two teams that are going to go straight down, we know already. That's another problem, actually. Right, and it looks like what well, Hamburg and um, one of the team from the, the from the second division looking like they're probably going to get be in the playoffs to try to to get into back into the Bundesliga. But um, yeah, I mean the numbers are dropping week after week, and uh, that's not good. I mean, you would think that the Bundesliga being practically the only game in town that those numbers would uh, stay the same or increase week after week um, but it does paint a picture of an issue um, yeah alright Kartik let's move on to the listener mailbag uh, first up is Monty Reed. Monty says right before kickoff in the Dortmund and Bayern Munich match the announcer stated that we would uh, be able to hear everyone on the pitch and instead we all heard that uh, piped in fake noise 
showing a stadium that is empty and playing that piped in noise is fake. Yes, crowd noise makes the match better, but not when it is fake noise. I really, really, really do not like it. If there is no crowd in the stands, I want to hear the action on the field, the kicking of the ball, the communication of the players and the coaches. I want what is real, not some fake noise. Had the match playing it playing in my office and one of my co-workers came in and saw the match on and the first thing this non-soccer watching person said hey what's up with this uh, crowd noise when there's nobody in the stands that's just wrong so um monty good points there too and i guess looking at the tv ratings you could probably say well the tv ratings it's not really the crowd noise is really not helping the tv ratings I mean, the, the, I mean, I, I don't think the the drop off is a result of the of the crowd noise, uh, but certainly not helping. For me as a viewer, I enjoy the games more with the crowd noise, with that kind of background noise. Um, it pulls me more into the game. But um, but some good points there from from Monty. What, what do you think, Kartik? Yeah, I, I I go back and forth on this. Really, I mean, I I think yeah. Uh, uh, I think for those of us that are trying to focus on the fact that there's a match on the pitch, it's very natural to hear that crowd noise. And so during that match, that specific match, it felt more natural um, and helped me kind of get into the match. But at the same time, uh, for other matches, uh, it, it seems very phony, right? It, it just doesn't seem right. We we all know the situation. Um, I think the Dortmund-Bayern game was just such a big match that it was uh, maybe we felt differently about it. But I, I kind of see it both ways. Yeah, I, I like it personally, and I think it's a wise idea. And I believe, I'm, I'm sure the Premier League will do it, as La Liga will, as Major League Soccer will. So I think it's it's here to stay. Because um, for the TV viewer, you know, having that game on in a bar and just having the silence and having the ball kicked and then the commentators is not a very TV-friendly product, unfortunately. And, and, and that's the, the day and age that we're in, is, is it is very much a TV product. At least, at least for those uh, who are not in the stadium, and nobody's at the stadium now anyway. So, next up is uh, Yannick Rampke, and Yannick says uh, ESPN Plus has thirty million dollars, uh, thirty million reasons a year to make the Bundesliga worth their money and put forth more effort than Fox, for whom the United States was a throw-in in an 80-territory deal in 2015. Serie A's coverage isn't encouraging, but deal was brokered by intermediating, intermediating IMG. The DFL talked directly to ESPN before. And those are good points, because uh, yeah. it has been... It does feel like that Fox is treating the Bundesliga like filler, that, that they weren't didn't have the buy-in, like Fox... Sports USA was kind of wasn't didn't seem to be the one pushing to get the Bundesliga. It was a eighty country deal, and uh, and 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 the United States was included in that. And and that's felt the whole way since two thousand fifteen to two thousand twenty twenty. Right now, it's felt like they've kind of been it's been thrown at them, and they have to try to do the best with what they have. But there's not it's not a top top priority. Next up is Roberts. Robert says you are correct. The MLS is facing some serious issues. Whatever is planned to replace the season, it will not bring in much revenue. Even after the worst of this pandemic is over, people will may, may be afraid to return to stadiums. 
It will be most likely next year before there is a vaccine. And then unless if it's shown for some reason, say they will never get the shot and uh, and are willing to put others in danger, this does not make the future very bright for world soccer and sports in general. And yeah, we, I mean, when this uh, coronavirus kind of erupted, um, especially in Italy and kind of caused the the shutdown, we had a podcast that uh, was talking about uh, how the coronavirus was going to have huge impacts, damaging impacts on soccer globally. Um, And we still haven't felt all of it yet. I mean, and I think it's actually probably going to be much worse than our first feared Kartik, which is not good news um, from all levels, from youth soccer all the way up to the highest level. And um, in terms of even the transfer windows, uh, everything I think is, is, I mean, a lot of companies throughout the soccer landscape have lost money and are losing tons of money. And uh, there's a lot of fear and anxiety going on at the same time. Uh, we haven't mentioned it yet today, but DAZN, uh, we've talked about it before, going through some financial issues with their b- billionaire owner, um, are now looking to sell Gold.com, which is owned by the DAZN uh, parent group, and I think looking for about to sell, to sell that for 125 million to an investment company. So looking to kind of get some cash there to keep DAZN running and to you know, make it viable in the future. But uh, but yeah, I think Robert's got some uh, some good points there, Kartik. Yeah, I agree, and and I think that there is. Uh, you mentioned the zone situation. They, uh, they they continue to be a major player for rights outside the U.S. The assumption is if they can they can keep this thing going, they can bid on MLS in 2022 or if the, if the deal is rolled over for a year or two after that. Uh, but uh, uh, this is a, this is a very difficult time, I think for all of soccer in the U S and uh, we didn't get into USL today. Maybe we will in a, in a future episode, but they've got some serious, serious decisions to make. They're trying to, um, to restart the season, uh, the, the American second division. And there is some, uh, incredible resistance from the clubs because I think the clubs in that league are even more dependent on gate revenue. And there doesn't seem to be the, uh, for some of the clubs and for MLS reserve teams, the impetus, if you're not getting gate revenue to actually kick a ball. So, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, and who knows based on where their clubs are, when they could actually open up to crowds again, we're probably looking at 2021. So uh, tough times and every league in the league and the country is going through that. And uh, as we talked about extensively earlier, MLS, uh, they, they had to get creative with this solution for the Orlando tournament, but it's still, uh, it's still a gamble, right? And uh, there's still a lot to be uh, seen. I mean, I credit to them for getting this far, uh, but uh, we'll see if it in fact stops the bleeding or not. Well, one more thing about that too, Kartik, is is the national teams. And you look at CONCACAF and you look at the U.S. Soccer Federation and you look at the FMF from Mexico and you wonder, I wonder, when is the next time that, say, a Mexico-United States game, which is a guaranteed sellout, uh, is going to have you mean, a crowd of 50 to 60 to 70 to 80,000 people in the stadium all packed in, paying you mean, huge prices, ticket prices for games like that. That's a cash cow for CONCACAF and for some and U.S. soccer and, and uh, you mean, uh, the FMF. <clears throat> and, in, and not just U.S. and Mexico, but even the Gold Cup. And the Gold Cup, the next Gold Cup is what, uh, the summer of 2021. Uh, where you, I mean, you're going to have teams from around the Concacaf area region coming to the United States, mostly uh, to play games. Are those games going to be behind closed doors? Uh, if they're not behind closed doors, 
will those have the same capacity, the same attendance numbers that we've seen in previous tournaments? Are the Mexican fans going to turn out in large numbers? Um, are the U.S. fans going to turn out in large numbers? So it has a direct impact uh, on a lot of these deals. And, and again, at the end of the day, the, the leagues and confederations that will benefit the most are the ones that have the uh, largest number in revenue with TV deals. Those will be the winners as long as the games continue. Uh, the ones that are tied to the attendances are, are going to be in serious trouble. So, so before we, we go here, I think where I do find some truth in Garber's one billion number, I, I think it's it's still disingenuous, as we've talked about, and there was so much pushback uh, on social media, et cetera, when he said it. Uh, but I do think that he might be accounting for future losses for some, and uh, some which is the driver of um, – of healthy profits, I think, for Major League Soccer and Major League Soccer's clubs generally, is now going to be a money loser in 2020 and perhaps in 2021, or at least for a big, large portion of 2021. I don't think you can have that Mexico-U.S. Uh, friendly in front of uh, uh, 90,000 people at the Coliseum or Rose Bowl until, jeez, uh, I mean, I, I guess the lead up to the Gold Cup in 2021, or maybe it's it's after. I don't know. So there, there, that might be what he was trying to convey, and he got sloppy in how he conveyed it. But wow. I, I think maybe he's talking about future uh, losses of, and how much this pandemic is going to cost MLS and some down the road. Now, he did, I think, if I remember correctly, listening to the call, he did say uh, – so far, or he said he implied so far, which right. is an absolutely absurd um, notion. But I, I, I do think they are now concerned about some not being able to generate profits. They're concerned about a second wave, which is why they tried to push this force majeure clause into the CBA, uh, which led to the showdown this this past week. Uh, there's a lot of nervousness there that uh, – and I have to give you credit, Chris, because I, I thought they were going to have problems, but I didn't think their problems were going to be significantly worse than other sports or other leagues uh, when uh, we shut down in March. Now we're seeing uh, they're in some trouble, and they're – and the way they handled the force majeure thing, the fact that they tried to push that at the last minute indicates to me and indicates to a lot of people I've spoken to, they're in bigger trouble than we thought they were and or that how they had represented it previously. Yeah. And and, and, and the big goal in this, all of this, uh, the big uh, kind of shining light at the top of this is the 2026 World Cup. And and that is the, the cash cow that uh, some Major League Soccer, U.S. Soccer is looking at and saying, OK, that is going to be, I mean, the biggest World Cup ever, most number of teams. And even though that is like, what, six years away, I mean, hopefully by then everything will be completely back to normal uh, and things will be, I mean, just rosy. Um, there's a lot of work to do between now and then. And there's a lot of issues that have to be, I mean, there's clubs that will go out of business. Um, there are organizations that will go out of business. There are players that will be probably stuck with, without a team. Um, and and there's just just small issues. There's, there's bigger issues than that, too. There's a lot of business issues um, and whether leagues will continue. I mean, you look at uh, Major League Soccer, will, I'm sure we'll find a way to, to stay afloat and, and keep on going. But then you mentioned the USL, you mentioned some of the, the other leagues, the lower leagues. Um, that system um, is in jeopardy. So, you I mean, it, this, this, this is huge. This is the, this, this, and going into this season, Kartik, the MLS season, we were talking about how MLS, this was the perfect year. This was They were perfectly placed... Uh, with the TV deals, with all the interest from DAZN and uh, BR Live and CBS, 
uh, and Amazon and all these streaming platforms looking to acquire sports, which they still are. But those companies are still at the same time dealing with a lot of financial issues. Uh, and a zone, for example, is not going to be able to put in as big of a bid as they were just even just three months ago, just as one example. And th- everything was perfectly placed for this year to be the most successful one for MLS probably ever. Also with, of course, the League's Cup and uh, the uh, Liga MX MLS All-Star Game and uh, Campeones Cup and, and a lo- I mean, so many things to look forward to. All that is out the window. So the, the billion-dollar number... I, Don Garber's not sloppy. He, everything he says, everything he does is very calculated. So um, he has reasons for saying those things. Now, what, what does that billion-dollar number uh, uh, contain? I mean, what? how, how is that uh, kind of um, – I mean, is that just a, a number on, on a napkin that's put together? Or is that something that they've looked at for some and Major League Soccer and looking at, say, the next 12 months and the ramifications of that – and, and, and that's the thing too, Kartik, even season tickets. I mean, if you're a season ticket holder for Major League Soccer, for any of the clubs, and you've paid for the season and you've seen, well, for Inter Miami, zero home games. Some of these clubs, zero home games, but a bit, or maybe one home game and you've paid for the entire season. You mean, are you demanding your money back or are you just holding on to that money for, for next season? There's a lot, there are a lot of issues there, Kartik. All right, listeners, if you have any comments, any feedback, any questions, uh, any ideas, uh, any observations, we would love to hear from you. We want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. You can listen to the podcast every Thursday, released on SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, YouTube, Overcast, um, you name it, every every single uh, podcast player uh, that's out there. And if you like the show, share it with your uh, friends and Rate us and review us on iTunes. We'd appreciate it there. And Kartik heading into another weekend. We've got the Bundesliga. We've got the uh, Portuguese League. We've got the Costa Rican League which on Saturday night. I think uh, Deportivo uh, Saprissa is playing on ESPN2. And then we've got the German uh, Cup uh, midweek. There's a lot to look forward to. Things are getting rosier as far as the soccer expectations of what to watch. But uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.